Like a flood 
Well, good morning. It is great to have the opportunity uh, to worship with you today. I am so delighted uh, that you have um, chosen to be part of our worship experience this morning. If you are uh, watching our services online, we are so grateful that uh, you are uh, part of our church uh, worship time together. Maybe you are in your living room today watching it by television. Uh, And uh, if you are, thank you for allowing us to come into your home and worship together. It is a joy to be able to talk to you this way and to share God's Word this way, Uh, but I'll tell you, the virtual world is certainly no substitute for the real world. I look forward to the soon return of us getting back together in church again, seeing one another and fellowshipping with one another. I miss you more with each passing day. Uh, My wife and I, we pray for you, and I try to pray for you, uh, many of you by name, as God brings you to my mind. And then as I have mentioned to you over time, I take out my church directory, I pray for your family, and I don't just say that, I mean that and I really do that. And I want you to pray for me as well, and as we get more information about when we may be able to worship together again corporately, uh, we will pass that along to you as soon as we have access to that. Uh, In the meantime, uh, take an opportunity to invite your friends and your family uh, to join us online or on television and uh, trust that their hearts would be warmed and encouraged by the truth of God's Word. 
Uh, you are free, certainly free, to email us here at the church with any need that you might have. Let me know. I want to be a pastor. Uh, to you. Maybe uh, you ha- have just clicked on this uh, sermon today for the first time. You know nothing about me or nothing about Highland Park. Well, I don't promote myself and I don't promote our church, but I do promote the Lord Jesus. And if there's any way that I can be a pastor to you, that's what I want to do. So you feel free uh, to email me, uh, or if you're seeing this by television, you can go to highlandparkfamily.com. Uh, and see our website, or you can send an email at uh, highlandparkfamily at gmail.com, and we'll get your email. So just uh, drop us a note, let, you know, let us know that you are listening and how we can pray for you. Uh, certainly, we are grateful for those in our church family that continue to reach out to each other. Our teenagers, I'm so impressed with them, they still are doing their devotions every day, twice a day, via Zoom. What a great blessing that is. Parents, thank you for encouraging your teenagers to do that. Um, To those who are serving with our young people and are ministering to them during these days uh, and and faithfully work with our teenagers, thank you so much for all that you're doing there. I know their lives will be forever changed. Um, Likewise, our Awana children are meeting via Zoom. In fact, tonight, I'll have an opportunity to share with one of the Awana classes via Zoom. We have many Sunday school classes that are still doing that. So thank you for the way you're staying connected and uh, keeping each other informed of how you can pray for one another. And we want to continue to do that as a church family so that we'll remain strong and we'll remain together until that day comes that we'll all be back together again. Uh, So certainly pray for one another. Pray for those in our church family that are sick and hurting. We ask that you pray for our missionaries that are serving all around the the globe, that God would provide them the resources that they need to continue their wonderful work, uh, to continue to spread that great gospel story of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's the greatest story that's ever been told about the greatest man who ever lived, who offers the greatest gift that's ever been offered, and that is the gift of eternal life that whosoever will can come to Christ by faith and be made a brand new creature in Jesus Christ. Listen, that's the glorious, wonderful good news of the gospel that is still available to whosoever will believe. So you pray for our missionaries that God would just continue to use them and uh, provide all of their resources. Uh, continue to pray for our building program as we move through that process. Uh, the building is really taking shape, and uh, a lot of the painting is going on on the inside now, and uh, the covered drive through on the outside is being put in place, and we are just excited with all of the changes that are uh, taking place with each passing day, and it won't be long. Uh, we believe, and we'll have a brand new facility uh, that will continue to help be a tool for us to reach our community with Christ or for Christ. Let's join our hearts together in prayer uh, at this time. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace and your steadfast love. Thank you, Lord, for the way Steve has blessed our heart in song. And Lord, um, how um, we've been set free and delivered from a life of sinfulness Uh, in the uh, pollution of our sin, and the practice of our sin. Uh, We still have work to do, but God, in our position, we stand before you through the blood of Christ, forgiven, and we are so thankful for that. We ask, Lord, that you would bless every listener under the sound of my voice today, that they would be strengthened and encouraged in their faith by your unsearchable riches. Thank you that you didn't just say that you loved us, 
But Lord, you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, God, as we turn our hearts to your word, may it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Teach us, God, to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. For we ask this in the wonderful, strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. All right. If you are in a place where you can locate your copy of God's Word and have access to that, I want you to uh, take that out, have it ready this morning. But before you open it up, I want you to put your thinking cap on, and I want you to see, test your biblical knowledge, and see if you can figure out the biblical character that we're going to be delving into uh, his life this morning. I want you to see if you can, um, with a couple of clues that I'm going to give you, figure out who this individual is. First of all, he is the main character of the book that we're going to study, and it is the book that bears his name. We don't know who the author of the book is. We don't necessarily know the date of the writing. We can speculate, but we don't know with uh, great certainty even the date nor the location from where it was written. But all the way through the book, you see the marvelous hand of God working in an incredible way. Are you close? Let me give you a few passages that come from the book we will be studying and see if this will help you. In chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, Should we only accept the good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Think about it. Chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Surely you have instructed many and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. Do you know where that comes from? How about chapter 10, verse 12? You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. How about chapter 33, verse 4? The Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. What a great passage. Let me give you that again. The Spirit of God has made me. Not uh, some sort of evolution from some sort of a single-celled amoeba. But the Bible says, The Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now, if you're not very familiar with those passages, I'm sure you will be with this one. Chapter 1, verse 21. Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I know some of your antennae went up because perhaps now you realize where we're going to be. Let me give you another passage. For I know, this is in chapter 19, verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last He will stand upon the earth. I'll give you one more. Chapter 13, verse 15. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. By now you know, today we're going to spend the balance of our time in the book of Job. And I would like to invite you to turn to the 23rd chapter of this ancient man, Job, as we peer into the life of this man who suffered more than perhaps any man in biblical history. 
You see, really, the book of Job explores the relationship between prosperity and adversity and faith in God, and how, through all of the hardships of life, how our faith in God plays a part in facing those hardships. In the opening chapter of this story, it begins with a man living in great wealth and affluence. He is a well-known, powerful, influential individual. The Bible says he lives in the land of us, but in very short order, he experiences such unimaginable pain and loss that most of his family are killed. That all of his wealth has been taken like that. And then even his health was removed from him. Throughout this narrative, you will find here was a man whose faith was stretched, whose faith was stretched unlike anyone in the Scripture and the strain and the pressure and the hardship of all that he faced would grind him down to a place that he would say, I wish I had never been born. Can you imagine a person getting so low that's how they feel. In fact, he says it three different times. If you were to uh, jot it down in chapter 3, you will find several times he says that. Listen to what he says. Chapter 3, verse 3. May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which I was, it was said a male child is conceived. Chapter 3, verse 11. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came out of my mother's womb? Chapter 3, verse 16, why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw the light? Chapter 3, verse 23, why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Can you imagine feeling so low in your life? having such despair and such torment that you say, I wish I had never been born. Yet that was the case of this man, Job. So what I want us to do is I want us to peer into his life in a sermon entitled, He Knows Me. And I want you to see that though Job could not understand all that was taking place in heaven behind the scenes, though he could not understand the activity of God and how God was working through the painful circumstances of life, God was still very much at work in Job's life because he knew him. And just as God knew Job, God knows me and God knows you. In fact, he has the hair of our head numbered. He has our name engraved on the palm of his hand. He knows every single one of us. He knew Job, and he had a plan for Job's life. You see, Job really wrestles with that universal question of humanity. And that is, if God is almighty, and he holds the entire world in the hollow of his hand, then why does God allow those he loves to suffer? Actually, the book of Job is many things. 
It is a, in my estimation, a rebuke of the prosperity gospel, which claims those in a right relationship with God will always have prosperity and that you will always be blessed with plenty. That is simply not true. Case in point, this man Job. He was right with God, but yet he lost all that he had. So the prosperity gospel is simply not true. But Job is also a rebuke to what we call the poverty gospel. The idea that um, a right relationship with God is a life of poverty and somehow that poverty makes an individual more spiritual. That as well is not true. Listen, Job lived for God in times of great wealth and he remained faithful to God in times of great poverty. Whatever his circumstances, that did not change his dependence upon God. Whether he had plenty or whether he had little, his faith in God would not waver. So I'm excited to share with you today this message that he knows me. Now, whenever I read a book, I try uh, and have made a habit of it for many, many years now to read first and foremost the table of contents multiple times before I begin actually reading the book itself. Because as I read the titles of each of the chapters in the table of the contents, it helps me understand where the author is going through the book, okay? So that way, when I get to that particular chapter, I remember what the table of contents said I could look for in that chapter, and then all the way as I'm reading the chapter, I'm trying to identify what the author said that he was going to point out in that particular chapter. Well, the book of Job does not have a table of contents, but if it did, it would look something like this. And I'm going to give it to you very, very quickly, okay? Uh, a wealthy and righteous man suffers adversity. That's chapters 1 and 2. Meet Job's friends, the terrible three, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. That's chapter number 3. In fact, uh, these guys were really a piece of work. These three guys step into Job's life. They offer unsolicited advice. Much of it is not very good. In fact, Eliphaz starts with expressing his view, Job, the innocent don't suffer, just the wicked suffer. So you must have some kind of unconfessed sin in your life. Now, how's that for a good friend to speak those kind of words into your life? Then Bildad steps up and he rebukes Job and says that the reason that his children died was because of their own transgression, and if Job lived more uprightly, then he would be blessed by God. Again, how would you like to have a friend like that? Then Zophar enters the dialogue with his own rebuke of Job, saying that Job actually received or deserved the trouble that he was receiving. So that's what you would find in chapter 3, is these three terrible for lack of a better word, friends step into Job's life in a time of great difficulty and they begin to offer unsolicited commentary. So if you continue to move through the table of contents, uh, Eliphaz gives his speech. That's in chapter 4 and, and chapter 5. Then chapter 6 and chapter 7, Job responds to that speech. Bildad gives his speech. That's in chapter 8. Job responds to that in chapter 9 and 10. Zophar gives his speech in chapter 11. 
And then Job responds to that in chapter 12, 13, and 14. Then what you have as you continue to move through the book is Eliphaz gives his second speech in chapter 15. And then Job's response is in chapter 16 and 17. Bildad gives his second speech in chapter 18. Job responds to that in chapter 19. Zophar gives his second speech in chapter 20. And Job responds in chapter 21. And then same same, uh, song, different verse. Eliphaz gives his third speech in chapter 22. And Job responds in chapter 23. And that's where we're going to spend our time for the remainder of this message is in chapter 23. And now you know the context is this is Job's response to Eliphaz' speech. When you have the opportunity, go back and look at that speech in chapter 22. You will find that Eliphaz basically attacks Job's character. And he says, Job, you think more of yourself than you ought to think. Then he attacks Job's theology, and he says, Job, God who created the world and who stands on the circle of the earth, that he is so far away from you that the clouds block you out of his sight, and God has no idea about your suffering. So Eliphaz attacks Job's theology, and he attacks Job's character, and now Job has no choice, but he's going to respond, and respond he does in chapter 23. So when you read that first passage or first verse in chapter 23, it opens this way. Then Job answered. What is he going to answer? The attacks on his theological position by Eliphaz. The attacks on his character and his integrity by Eliphaz. And you're going to note that first of all, as we move through this, that Job is discouraged because he cannot seem to find God. He's discouraged because he can't seem to find God. Look what he says In verse 2 and following, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Some translations will use the word hand and it will say, my hands are heavy, which is a metaphor of just being spent. He says, all that I knew where I might find him talking about God, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him, and I would fill my mouth with arguments. Now, let me ask you, if you were to be able to meet with God, you and God, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, and you could ask him anything that you wanted to ask him, what would you say to the Lord? Well, Job says, I know what I would tell him. I would tell him, as I just give him a piece of my mind, that I'm bitter that I lost my family. I'm worried that I lost my resources and I don't know how to see my way clear through all of this. And I'm, and I'm sick and tired of living in a sick, weak body. And it's just as though Job is prepared to unroll a scroll of complaints and say to God, I'm mad about this and I'm bitter about that and I'm worried about this and I'm upset over this. And he just just uh, unleashes this tirade of complaints that he would have about the Lord. It is as if Job was really saying, if I could just get to him, 
I'd let him know how I'm really feeling about this. So the reality is what Job was asking for was a, was a mediator of sorts. You know, a mediator is a go-between. It is somebody that assists both parties. If there is a break in communication, if there is a break in relationship, then this mediator is a go-between who can represent one party to the other party and then represent that second party back to the first party and hopes of being able to reconcile the fracture between those two parties. And what Job is saying is the bitterness of my soul over the loss of my family and my possessions and my health has brought about a fracture in how I feel toward God right now. So I need somebody, some kind of a mediator that can tell God how I feel and that can help me understand what God is up to. In fact, all the way back in chapter 9, Job says, For God is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there a mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. Do you see the frustration there? He says, oh, if I just had somebody that could tell God my feelings, and somebody that would help me understand what God is up to. What Job lacked in his day, listen, we have it in totality today in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, the Bible says, He is our mediator. In 1 Timothy 2, the Scripture says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. It is the Lord Jesus whose death upon the cross of Calvary took took a righteous God by one hand and a lost, sinful human family by the other hand and in his love and grace, he, he, he bore in his own body the sin debt of the world, and he reconciled us to God. No one else did that. No other religious leader ever come close to that. Jesus and Jesus Christ alone is the only mediator. The Bible says in the book of Acts, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The great preacher of yesteryear, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, who was so nearsighted, preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So nearsighted would hold his sermon up before his face and, and his congregation could hardly even see his face as he read his sermon. And Jonathan Edwards said this about Christ, our mediator. The redeemed are dependent upon God for everything. All that we have, the pardon of sin, Deliverance, acceptance in God's favor, grace, holiness, comfort, happiness, eternal life, and glory. All we have, we have from God by a mediator. And this mediator is God. God not only gives us the mediator and accepts his mediation and of his power and grace bestows the things purchased by the mediator, but he is the mediator. Our blessings are what we have by purchase, and that purchase is made of God. The blessings are purchased of him, and not only so, but God is the purchaser. Yes, God is both the purchaser and the price for Christ who is God, purchased these blessings by offering himself as the price for our salvation. 
Do you know that the Lord Jesus, even in his ministry today, seated at the right hand of God, prays for every one of us who are believers? He is the great intercessor, and he is pleading our case before the Father, and he is praying as the great intercessor for you and I. So he represents us before the Father. He is our intercessor. He is our mediator. But for Job, he could only hope that he would have someone to do something like that for him, to tell God how he feels, to tell him how God uh, feels and what God is up to. So listen to what he says in verse number five. He said, I would know the words that he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would, listen, he would put strength in me. I love that passage. One translation says, he would not press charges against me. Look in verse 7. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. So really what Job is doing is he is using the language of court to declare that he wishes to go before God with this host of arguments. And he believed that he had every reason to contend with God over the deplorable condition that he now found himself. He had suffered so much loss. He had suffered so much tragedy and was continuing to suffer. We don't know how long, but, but there's some indications it's for months and months and months and months. I'll tell you more about that in a little while. But think about the ways that Job suffered. He suffered physically. You know, the Bible says when he lost his health, that he was covered from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head with sores. In fact, the Scriptures picture him as sitting on a pile of ashes and with a broken piece of pottery, he scratches the itch from the sores that are upon his body. Is that not a picture of despair? The Scripture says that he had dark circles under his eyes, that he had lost tremendous amount of weight, that he had terrible bad breath. He suffered physical pain and the hardship of a body that was, that was sick. He not only suffered physically, but he suffered financially. In a matter of moments, all that he had was gone. Now put yourself in Job's sandals. In a matter of moments, everything he had was gone. Now I know we live in an unpredictable world. And there could be a time if you, are, if you have investments somewhere... And you think they're secure that someone could come and say to you or you could hear on the news that all of those investments, whatever it is, has been totally wiped out and eliminated. And then someone comes to you while you are at work and they say, I'm sorry, we're closing the doors and you no longer have a job here. And on the way home, you see a fire truck going down the road that you live on just ahead of you. And as you turn the corner, you see your home up in flames. And you hear the harsh reality that most of your family has been killed. Can you imagine the anguish? I've experienced any one of those, much less all of those, in rapid-fire succession like Job. In just one fell swoop. He goes from one of the wealthiest men of his, of his generation to a man who is totally bankrupt. He suffered physically. 
He suffered financially. He suffered socially because at one point he, he had a, a good reputation and he was an upstanding citizen in the community. He was well respected. But in a moment, he lost all of that. He also suffered emotionally. Listen to what he said as he dealt with loneliness. He said, all of my acquaintances are estranged from me. All of my acquaintances are estranged from me. He suffered with loneliness and emotional bondage of loneliness. He also suffered spiritually. He felt like the harder he worked for God, the more frustrated he became. Here was a man who was upright. He was mature. He was righteous. He was trying to do what was right and had no idea that these things were going to come into his life and then all of a sudden bankrupt. No health. No friends. Isolated. Humiliated. And now he feels like he can't even find God. And he said, if I just had a go-between that could go to God and tell him how I feel. He said, but I can't seem to, to find him. Look what he says in verse number 8. He said, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, and I can't perceive him on the left hand where he does work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand, and I cannot see him. Listen, do you ever feel, you ever feel like that? Or let me ask you, has there ever been a time in your life where you really felt that way at least for a season? You know that your faith teaches to to pray, and to worship, and to love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and all that you have, and all that you are. But in the very deepest part of your heart, you've gone through a time that was so emotionally draining and hurtful, tragic, or whatever it might be, that you felt like Job, I can't find him over here. I go to church to get my, my, my soul lifted, but it seems like, it seems like nothing speaks to me there. I'm trying to pray at home, but it's like my prayers don't get higher than the ceiling. I try to read his word, but it's like a closed book to me. And you just feel like everywhere you turn, the trials are falling left and right upon you, and the pressures are getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And you would just like somehow God to break through all of that and to say, listen, I'm here. Listen, I want you to know, I want you to know in those moments that you may feel like that, in those moments that you may feel as though God is totally unaware of your circumstances and your situation, God is never unaware. He knows you. He knows your name. Listen, He knew you before you were born. Think about that. He knew you before you were born and had already determined that he loved you so much that he had sent his son to die for you so you could be brought into his forever family. Praise God for that. That's a good place for an amen, isn't it? But he knows you, and he is not unaware of your plight. You see, Job was actually saying, the heavens are silent. I said to you, we don't really know how long Job experienced this. In fact, um, chapter 7, verse 3, he says this. I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. So we do know, at the very minimum, if this was trials that lasted for months. Let me read that verse again. I have been allotted months of futility, 
and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. In fact, uh, many times throughout his story, you'll see that he suffered from chronic insomnia, and he tossed and turned, and he couldn't find rest at night. He couldn't find rest during the day. And, and, and to make matters worse, he felt like he couldn't find God, and that all of heaven was silent, and he was totally unaware that God was aware of what was happening in Job's life. And he begins, that realization begins to dawn on him as he begins to say, wait a minute, I recognize that even when I can't find him and see him and understand him, that God has a plan. Look in verse number 10. He says, look at that conjunction, but. But he knows the way that I take. Look at that. He knows the way that I take. I'm looking for God, he says, and I can't find him. But I find great comfort in knowing that when I can't seem to see God, God always sees me. That when I can't seem to find God or find my way to him, that God knows exactly where I am and what's going on in my life. You see, listen, we don't have to hold on to God. He's holding on to us. Thank the Lord for that. He's holding on to, the, uh, to us. Jesus said, of all that the Father has given me, I have lost none and neither can any man snatch them from my hand. So in those moments that you feel like heaven is silent and it's darkness all around you and you can't find God, just know that God is aware and God is upholding you. And he has a plan for you. He had a plan for Job. And it was got that plan that, that could sustain him through his grief to know that God's aware. Think about that for a moment. Could you imagine going through a hardship in life not knowing there's a God in heaven who has a plan for you? Could you imagine losing a loved one and not knowing that through faith in Jesus Christ you'll be able to see them again in a place called glory? Can you imagine not having that assurance and that comfort that this world is not the end or, or that this world is, is not the end of our, uh, maybe the end of our physical life, but it's not all that there is. But there is, there is a world far beyond our wildest expectations when we see Jesus face to face because he has a plan for us. Job said, he says, I know uh, that he knows the way that I take. He's watching your steps. He's guiding your path. He's interested in every aspect of your life because he has a plan for you. Secondly, he has a purpose. Notice what he says. But he knows the way that I take. Look at this now. When he has tried me. Some translations use the word tested. It comes from a Hebrew word that means to be examined, to be scrutinized. Listen, God does not tempt us. All right? God never will never and can never tempt us. But he does test us. He does try us. He does examine and scrutinize our lives to see what we are made of. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone himself. God does not tempt us, but he does test us. 
In Deuteronomy 8, when the Hebrews were making their way through the Sinai Desert on the way to the Promised Land, Moses writes this, The Lord God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, now listen carefully, to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would serve God and keep His commandments or not. So here is Job He says, I wish I could just stand before God and unroll that scroll of complaints that I have toward God, but I've come to the realization that I understand when I can't see Him, He still sees me. He has a plan for my life. He has a purpose for my life, and that He's totally aware of what's going on in my life. You have to remember now, back in chapter 1, the Lord asked Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Because there is none like him on the earth. He is just. He is upright. He is honest. He is authentic. And Satan says, no, God, because you've built a hedge around him. You've built a hedge around him. That's the only reason Job serves you, because he's got everything that a person would want. He's got money in the bank. He's got a beautiful family. He's got plenty of resources. He doesn't need you, God. He's got everything that a person's heart could desire, and that's the only reason that he's serving you. So God says, okay, Satan, take Job and do with him as you please. You just can't kill him. And I want you to know this set off a test in this man's life unlike anything that the world has ever seen. And when you read his story, sometimes you think he's going to pass the test. Other scriptures you read in his, in his narrative, you think he's going to fail the test. But ultimately, the Bible says in all of these things, Job sinned not, nor cursed God or charged God foolishly. Sometimes it is the test that reveals who we really are. It is the trial It is the heartache. It is the worry that captures our attention and reveals who we really are deep down inside. I believe, and I'm praying, that situation, our current situation with COVID-19 will indeed improve and improve rapidly. But that's outside of all of our control. The fact of the matter is, We don't know how or when it may or may not improve. We're praying that it will. We believe that it will. We're trusting God that it will. But listen, what if, what if no vaccine for COVID-19 is never discovered? What if the economy worsens? And instead of 30 million people who are are on unemployment, it goes to 60 million or 100 million. What if we get to the place where we're already seeing some of the shelves in grocery stores that look bare? What if we get to the place where it's almost completely bare? And I'm not going to be a prophet of doom this morning. I just want you to, to think about this. What if wearing face masks is the new normal. It's kind of apocalyptic when you go out in public and you, 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 you see folk wearing face masks and you're encouraged to wear one yourself and that you think, can this really be the world in which I'm living in? What if it is years before it improves? What if you do lose your job? 
Not just with COVID-19, but some would ask, what if, what if I get cancer? What if, what if something happens to my child? What if I don't have enough financial resources to provide end-of-life care for myself and for my loved ones? Do we abandon our faith in God? Of course not. Do we resent that God has not come to the rescue? Of course not. But listen, I want you to know, if all of those things were to transpire, my prayer is that none of those would. But if all of those transpired and then some, I want you to know, God the Father is still in charge of this world. And He is still seated on His throne in glory. And He is still aware of every single one of you and knows you by name and will never let anything come into your life that doesn't first pass through His hands. And He will never put more on you than what He puts in you and gives you the strength to bear it. So Job would say, I know God has a plan. And I go, God has a purpose. And he sends me through these tests, he says in verse number 10. When he has tried me, notice, he said, I shall come forth like gold. Don't you love that? It's a metaphor for being in a furnace. Now remember, Job, what's the problem or one of the many problems in Job's life? He's lost all of his gold, right? So he's saying now, it's not that God's going to give me gold back. It's that God is going to be making me like gold. He's not blaming God now. He's not, he's not resentful toward God. He's losing that bitter spirit, and he's trying to learn that despite the horrible adversity that God has permitted him to endure, that God can use this to make him better, that he's going to send him through the furnace that he's going to send him through the fire. And what's going to come out on the other side is a more refined, pure form of gold. The Bible speaks to this back in the book of Malachi, chapter number 3, where uh, God is pictured as a silversmith, a refiner of silver who sits before uh, the, 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 the pot of silver as the heat is turned up. And he turns up the heat and the, the silversmith takes the dross off the top and casts it aside and turns the heat up a little more and, and takes off the impurities that float to the top and turns the heat up a little more and a little more and a little more until all of the impurities that he can possibly get out of that silver rise to the top and they can be scraped off and he has a more perfect, pure form of silver. And the way the silversmith knows that he's got it just right is when he can look over into that pot of silver and he sees a reflection of himself. And that is what God is doing in Job's life. And that's what God wants to do in my life and God wants to do in your life. Sometimes he turns up the heat. Sometimes he turns up the furnace and he gets hotter and hotter and hotter. But I want you to know every step of the way, God has his eye on that fire, on that furnace, and he'll never turn it up beyond what we're able to endure. Right? He is just trying to make out of us a more pure, a more refined, a more perfect a form of gold that would reflect his image. Warren Wiersbe said it like this. When God puts his own people into the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He knows how long and he knows how much. Look in verse number 12. Verse number 11 and 12. Job says, my foot has held his steps. 
His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. Can you say that in your life? That I've not gone back to to the way my life used to be before Christ. That I've not ignored what God is saying to me in his word. I've not gone back from the commandment of his lips. Listen to what he says. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What a great verse. That I have esteemed the words of God that feed my soul more than the necessary food that would nourish my body. That shows the love that Job had and the trust that Job had for God and his word. Remember now, he, he might have been totally unaware of the activity in heaven that God was working to refine Job. Job only is, is really seeing that he's sick, that he's lost his family, that he's lost his health, that he's lost his wealth, that he's lost his friends, that he's dealing with loneliness and financial bankruptcy and all of this. And he's in the furnace. But he's not sure how that's going to play out in his life. He just says, I have to hold on to this thing here. That God knows me. That God knows me. And that God knows where I am. He knows the heat of the furnace. He knows the intensity of the flame. And God is going to be there with me every step of the way. So really what Job does is he discovers God's sovereignty in verse 13. He says, but he is in one mind. Who can turn him? Meaning God is is immutable. He's unchanging. And what his soul desires that he does. You know what Job is saying? Listen, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Basically, it's a, I guess you could say that's a theological word. And, and to give you the, the basics of it, what it really means is, is God is in charge. God is in charge. Webster defines it this way. Supreme power. Authority. Let me ask you this. If God's not in charge, who is? If God's not in charge, who is? If God's not sovereign, who is? You see, God is sovereign over all the circumstances of life. He is sovereign over COVID-19. He is sovereign over everything that takes place in this world. Listen, it is His world. He created this world. And if He allows trouble to enter my life and your life, He is perfectly justified to let it happen. Not that it might beat us down or destroy us, but that He might make of us a more pure form of gold where He can look and see His image reflected in the lives that we live. The psalmist said, our God is in the heavens and he has done whatever he pleases. Listen to what one unknown author writes about the sovereignty of God. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create and bold a man, that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks. 
when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses, and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out, God knows what he's about. And God put Job through the furnace. God put Job through the fire, and he turned up that heat, and he said, I want to make out of you a more refined individual where I can see the image of myself reflected in your life. And that's what he's trying to do in my life. And that's what he's wanting to do in your life. He's not using these trials to get some kind of sordid pleasure out of watching us worry. No. He wants us to turn to him. And with great confidence, say, God, I know you're sovereign over this. I know you're in absolute control over this, and I'm not. And it, and it bothers me when I'm out of control. So, God, I just want to rest in you, and I want to trust in you. You see, Job discovered God's sovereignty, but also his faithfulness. Look in verse number 14. If you're listening, say amen. He says, for he performs the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Job discovered God's faithfulness. He knows that God is forever faithfulness, is forever faithful. You know, it's easy and tempting when we go through hardship to jump to conclusions. You don't see that in Job's life. In fact, 122, I've already given you this, says, In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrongdoing. You know, I have discovered that getting older, has some advantages. Now, I've been in the ministry for a long time, and I have loved pastoring, and I have loved God's people, and I continue to uh, love to serve God with all of my heart. And I am getting older, and I recognize that there are, are good things and bad things about getting older. Sometimes getting older, your, your body breaks down, and you begin to uh, feel the, the pains of an older body. But one of the advantages of growing older, now listen carefully, this has been so true in my life, and I trust that it has been in yours, is growing older has given me the experience that as I look back across my life, I see all of the times that God has demonstrated his faithfulness in my life, and it just encourages me to keep on moving forward, amen? Ask yourself that same question. Haven't you been able to look back across the course of your life and identify those areas, those times, when you weren't sure how things were going to work out, that God proved himself faithful to you and that God came through for you? Listen, that encourages me. That encourages me now in my, now in my 50s, no longer in my 20s, no longer in my 30s, but now I'm in my 50s, and I have many years now of experience to look back and say, God will never leave you nor forsake you. That's not just theoretical, but that's experiential. I know that, not just because the Bible says it, but I, that's primarily how I know it, but I also know it because I've experienced it. The Bible says in the book of Lamentations, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen, God is bigger than any of your problems. Amen? God is bigger, listen, than any of your sin. I don't know who may be listening 
to this service today. You may have been just uh, perusing the internet and you saw our website and you clicked on and you found yourself in the middle of this worship service listening to this message this morning. I want you to know whomever you are, whatever your life is like, wherever you're watching from, that God is bigger than your problems and God is bigger than your sin. I've had folk tell me over the course of my ministry, I've just done too many bad things to ever be forgiven. I've just gone too far that God could never bring me into his family. I felt, I've, I've met people who have felt like that. That I could just never, they could, they, could, they could just never be forgiven. Listen, I want you to know that doesn't come from God. That comes from the devil. And the Bible says that the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. God so loves you, whatever your past is. It doesn't mean that there might not be some consequences from your past, but it does mean that God in his marvelous grace is able to forgive you. The Bible says where sin did abound, God's grace does much more abound. God's bigger than your problems. God's bigger than your sinfulness. God in his compassion never fails. His mercies never fail. Listen, they're new every morning because of the faithfulness of God. Job experienced that. Job, who at first in this chapter says, I just want to unroll this scroll of complaints and get it all off my chest. As he responds to Eliphaz's speech and how he was, had his theology attacked, how he had his character attacked, he said, I want to give you the truth about it. Though I'm bitter because of the hurt, I have discovered that God is in control. He says, those my hands seem like they're heavy because of my loss. I have discovered that God is faithful come what may. The Bible says, from the pen of David, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Listen to verse 15 as we bring this to a close. The Bible says, therefore I am troubled at his presence when I consider I am afraid of him. You see how Job sees him in his sovereignty and in his power? For God makes my heart soft and the Almighty troubles me because I was not cut off before the darkness, neither has he covered the darkness from my face. Excuse me, from my face. Corey Ten Boom said it this way. If you remember Corey Ten Boom's life, she spent time in a Nazi concentration camp during the Second World War. In fact, she had a sister who died in one of those concentration camps before it was liberated. Years after that, she would write her story about that, and Corey Ten Boom would say these words, talking about the darkness that surrounds us in times of trouble. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You just trust the engineer. And ultimately, that's what Job is saying here. Though I can't see what he's up to, though it appear that at times I might not even be able to find him, that he knows me. He knows where I am. The Bible says he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. That's what the psalmist said. Job can relate to that. I can relate to that. And though I may not be able to answer all of the questions that are presented to me during a time like this, I know that God is faithful, forever faithful, forever sovereign, who so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for each and every one of us. There was a day in my life where I intentionally confessed my sins to God and asked God to forgive me.
And that by faith I received what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary as payment for my sin. And I prayed and I asked God to forgive me and to come into my life. And you know, God did just that. And though I've been far from perfect ever since, God has put a song in my heart and God has put a spring in my step and God has recorded my name in the Lamb's book of life. And if you've never made your decision for Christ today, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, listen, the Bible says thou shall be saved. Right here today, would you, wherever this broadcast finds you, would you bow your head? Would you pray? And would you ask Jesus right now to come into your life? God will hear you if it is a prayer, an earnest prayer of repentance. You call on him. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us, for the marvelous, matchless grace. Thank you that our chains are gone. Thank you, Lord, that we've been set free. Thank you, Lord, that we have our home waiting for us in heaven. And God, thank you that while we are here on our journey toward heaven, we experience the abundant life. Would you bless every listener under the sound of my voice? Encourage our hearts, God, knowing that you know us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.